Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another one. Episode 150, my friend. Did you ever think we would get here? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how how there is was everything? A, there was a time where I wasn't sure if we were going to do an episode two, so uh, <laughs> I, I'd say I'd say we've really uh, done well for ourselves. We've come a, we've come a long way, and I'm happy that we are doing our first request of the Patreon era this week as we cover Flotsam and Jetsam's debut album, Doomsday for the Deceiver, which came out back in 1986. Um, I'm sure you remember this. You were four years old at the time, but we'll we'll get we'll get there in a second. Um, before we get there, uh, I was at Shea, I was at Shea Stadium watching the Mets win the World Series uh, while I was wearing my Flotsman Jetsam shirt. It was uh, a good time. A good time. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, want to thank everyone who signed up for the Patreon. We really appreciate the support. I just wanted to put out that out there. We did our first Patreon exclusive uh, podcast as well as chat. So thanks to everyone um, who's again signed up. Um, we hope you enjoy the content. And if you, there's anything else you would like to hear from us, please let us know, and we'll make sure to incorporate it as part of uh, as part of the Patreon. But yeah, we week- know we know a lot about the 1994 Rangers roster. If you're interested <laughs> in us talking about that. So. Uh, that that is true. And so we're going to have Joey Coaster on as a guest on the next podcast. But before we get there, uh, did you listen to anything interesting this week? Because um, I actually went back and I heard something that came out earlier this year that I missed. I want to talk about, but I want to give you the floor first. Sure. Um, the, you know, we, we've been talking about this uh, new uh, supersonic revolution project that um, Aaron uh, Lucasen is heading up. And they released another single. This one's the title track called The Golden Age of Music. Another really good tune. Like, this is uh, just really solid prog rock. And I've been enjoying these singles. I'm looking forward to the entire album uh, to to come out. And um, as far as albums go, I actually finally did some some catching up this week. Um, I'm not going to name everything, but I I am going to give a shout out to two albums. one, uh, thanks to uh, listener, our friend Brian Clough for recommending St. Demon. Uh, they have a new album called League of the Serpent. And this is a band that just was not on my radar at all. And I ended up really enjoying this. And I don't know if the... Have you ever had a band where you looked at the name of the band and just expected it to sound totally different just based on the name of the band? And then you listen to it and you're like, oh, this was not what I was expecting. First time I heard Flotsam and Jetsam, I had that experience. But I'll, I'll get there a little bit later. Yeah, it wasn't uh, the seafaring type of music you were expecting, I suppose. No, but, um, no, um, and Ursula did not make an appearance. But um, t- t- that, that's too bad. Did you think that Saint Demon was so? Just by way of background, they played Prague Power a number of years ago. I think they were a fill-in band, if I'm not mistaken, or possibly even on the original roster. Um, they're good. They're they're very melodic power metal. But not in like the Halloween vein. There's kind of like a, has a more modern sound to it. But I, I listened to the album as well. It was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, it had that Frontiers kind of vibe to it. Um, like a polished power metal or something. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. It, it really stuck out to me. So I wanted to just uh, mention that. Um, and again, thanks to Brian for the solid uh, recommendation. And the other album I wanted to mention was uh, Jason Bieler and the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra. Um, they have a new veil as if that's like a, a group of people. Jason <laughs> Bieler has a new album called Postcards from the Asylum. Um this was, um, you know, he had, I think, pre-released a good portion of this album over the past few years as 
singles with um songs like na uh songs like um heathens and sick riff and uh human head and bear sedatives um this is kind of the full release and it's it's almost like a full 80 minutes of tunes and there's so many different styles here it's really interesting there's a there was a song that that uh flying monkeys which to me was like a a haken tribute um this was uh, actually recommended to me from Knops, um, who was like, <laughs> in his words, he said that I, I didn't give this guy a shot because I heard, I knew he was friends with Soto. And so I just <laughs> didn't think it would be something that would be interesting to me. But he gave it a listen and he ended up liking it. And he asked me if I heard it. And I didn't even know it was out yet. Um, so I ended up really liking it. So uh, shout out to Brian and Knops for the 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 good recommendations. I also listened to the new Elvin King album, Reader of the Runes Rapture, but um I feel like I need to listen to this one a couple more times before I comment too deeply on it. Um uh, it was solid, but it didn't really blow me away or anything like that. But I, I think that that's one I'm gonna need to go back to. I was listening to the Elvin King this morning at the gym. I got through about three quarters of it. That tells you about how long I worked out this morning. But um no it was it, I thought it was a, a I'll say this. It was a slow starter for me. I thought the beginning of the album was a little like meh, but then as I got into it more, I think the the middle of the album and and towards the back end, I actually really enjoyed. So like yourself, I need to spend some more time with this one. Um, The Beeler album, you talk about hitting all these genres. It's fascinating to me because the guy used to be in like a, a hair band and then all of a sudden now he's doing like this quirky rock prog thing. It's, it's certainly all over the place. I am looking forward to seeing both him and Soto together doing a set um, at the end of the month. May 26th, they're playing New York City, but they're, it's interesting. The place they're playing is this barbecue restaurant where there's a stage in the back. Um, if I, if, two of my favorite things, live music and barbecue. So when you put them together, <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to enjoy that night and probably need somebody to wheel me out of there at the end. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. They put on such a good show together in Atlanta during the uh, Saturday noon uh, gold badge, uh, you know, sponsor show. It was just such an entertaining hour and change of music. I'm looking forward to seeing them again, you know, kind of in my backyard. I'll head over after work. I, I have it on the calendar. I need to buy a ticket. But it's I, literally I'm- in your backyard. You're going to be grilling and making barbecue for, for everyone. I <laughs> I would not object to that at all. I'm not going to lie. It actually sounds like a good time, but um, that that's a very, very interesting listen for sure. I wanted to mention two albums, um, one that just came out and the other one that came out about a month ago that kind of passed me by when it happened, but then I gave it a good listen and I was kind of blown away. The first album is a band called Ash Rain and they have... Uh, the, the album's called Requiem Reloaded and it's a Japanese guitar player... Uh, I guess his name is Nazumo Wakai. And then he brought in musicians from kind of all over the place. The singer on the album is the current singer for Eternity's End. And it's just kind of straight up neoclassical power metal in many ways. And I thought the album was solid, but there's one track in particular, which just blew me away. Um, does, that doesn't usually happen anymore. Usually I'll either like something or not like it. But this in this one, there was one real standout track. I'll post it this week just because I think people need to hear it. I'm not sure anyone's talking about this album. So that's Ash Rain. And then there's another band called Vesuvian out of Seattle, Washington. It's 
melodic death metal, but with heavy on the uh, symphonic side. Really, really cool. If, when I when I listened to it, I thought these guys were from like Europe or something like that, like Germany or Italy. No, they're from they're from Seattle, and I thought this album um, Emergence that came out about a month ago was really, really good. So I, I'm going to try to post something from there as well. Just really, really good stuff from these guys. I think you'd enjoy it. It's it's digestible melodic uh, death metal. Well, grab your Starbucks, put on your Kraken jersey, and, and, and let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, very. I, I think you're going to hear more from these guys. They're they're uh, they're they It was. I was impressed. Um, but without further delay, I spent the bulk of the week listening to this Flotsam and Jetsam um, album, Doomsday for the Deceiver. Now, was this your first exposure to the band, or had you heard stuff by them before? Um, I was familiar with their last few releases, but they've changed their style a little bit in, in, in the recent years and, and over time, obviously, um, this being their debut album. So I, I didn't quite know what to expect when I, when I played it. I was pleasantly surprised. But uh, for you, was this your first exposure to them? Uh, I, I listened to their End of Chaos album that came out in 2019, and I think I just listened to it one time. I think it was on your recommendation, as a matter of fact. Um, would I be wrong in saying that they were on one of your year-end lists at one point? Um, or am I thinking of somebody else? No, I think that's possible. I have to double-check, um, you know, my notes to 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 say for sure. What I yeah, actually it was. I think it was that my best of 2019 they were in my top 50 i think they were like 45 or something like that i i I really enjoyed that album and and i think that they're kind of an underrated band in many respects they now they're doing more of a straight up metal thing right like when you think of just like heavy metal that that, that's kind of their sound now but back in the uh the mid eight mid and late 80s they were a thrash band through and through, and 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 you can see the evolution. I think as you go back and listen to the back catalog. Um, so Charles Florio had recommended this album, one of our patrons, and he he basically was like, "You just have to hear this," and he is a huge, huge thrash fan. So on his recommendation, I thought it was a really uh, good selection for us um, because this this is like I said, they, they've definitely evolved, but going back and listening to this was, was a trip in many, many ways. The album came out July 4th, 1986. So we're going back almost 40 years at this point. And, um, the lineup is obviously Brian, Brian's fourth birthday. Yeah. I wonder if his mom got him this. <laughs> I, birthday. I, I, I would be very impressed if when he was going through his dad's records, there was a Flotsam and Jetsam album. I think that that would be, <laughs> that would be interesting. But, um, you know, just thinking back, like, the lineup for this band has obviously, you know, changed considerably over the years. I mean, there are some members that have been kind of staples, but the the one notable change here, uh, a name that I think most people are familiar with, the original bass player for Flotsam and the bass player on this album, Jason Newstead, who would go on to fame in some other band that used to be a thrash band that has kind of evolved themselves metallica so it's it's fascinating to me that he kind of really cut his teeth here and then this this kind of opened him up to um much 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 greater fame i had no idea that um he was in the band prior to uh listening to this album it's i was i mean i don't know where jason newstead came from prior to this but um now i know that this was his uh this is where Metallica poached him from. Uh, it's really interesting. This album, uh, 
Cliff Burton passed away the same year, eighty six or eighty seven. So yeah, well, I think it was it was I think it was eighty six or yeah, eighty six, eighty five, eighty six, and you know, ultimately, I think that uh, this album comes out in eighty six, and and he wouldn't be long. You know, obviously, Metallica would get back on the road. Uh, and obviously in the studio, right? And recording Injustice for All, which would come out just a couple of years later. And it's interesting. What was the, the reason for Jason Newstead's uh, departure from Metallica? So I, the, I've i heard different things. I don't know that they ever officially said the real reason. My understanding was that he just, it was almost like a musical differences thing. And he just wanted to kind of do his own thing. And I don't know if it was you know, some other projects that he had going on, which obviously, you know, I, I think when you're in Metallica, that is always going to take precedence over your side projects and your other, you know, your solo material and things like that. But it was just a, kind of like a mutual parting of the ways. I don't think there was any bad blood. I just think that he had been in the band for 15 years, literally from 86 until 2001. And he just said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to go um, in a different direction. And I, ironically, when you think about it, Robert Trujillo, who's been in the band for now 22 years, he's been a, their bass player for you know considerably longer than obviously Cliff and even Jason. But yeah, that's it's funny how that how that works. It's time, just time that, catches up on you. Yeah, but it's but Metallica's only released three albums <laughs> with Robert, whereas they released uh, four. Or, yeah, I guess four with. Um, with Jason Newstead uh, would have been um, actually five. If he was on Saint Anger, right? So was he on? Well, I know for a fact that he was on like the um, the the uh, the reimagined covers album that they did. So if you want to count that, and then obviously the S and M project as well. So a different types of releases, but he was on quite a few albums, you know, with them or what have you. And then obviously. Um, you know, albums are coming out fewer and farther between nowadays. No, no I stand corrected. He was not on Saint Anger. That's that's oh. what I, I thought. So I think that that was kind of Roberts um, dipping his toe in there. And ironically enough, um, uh, you know, just an absolute absolute abomination of, of 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 a mix on that album. And we have somebody who is a friend of the show. Shout out to Keith, who's been asking us to do a Saint Anger episode for the better part of I don't know two years now, and I've. I, I'm not saying I, I've ignored it. I haven't, but I just don't know that I can listen to it for an entire week. Well, when he when he signs up for the Patreon and makes a request, we then we'll take it. his request seriously. That's right. So th- th- <laughs> money, that, money talks, <laughs> and and that's about the only way I can sit through that album again. Just because I otherwise I'll just take a you know a pen and I'll just bang bang it on my metal chair. But somebody somebody has had to have like attempted to to redo the it, drums. Right? I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of talented people out there. Like, you know some guy on YouTube probably took the tracks, like, put his own drums remix, over it. Yeah, like remix the album. So there's gotta be a more listenable I don't recall the music being so terrible. It's just that it's so unpleasing to the ear. Um just like that oh my god. I, I would rather hear Oscar the Grouch bang on a trash can. <laughs> For an hour, I'm pretty sure like that's that what they did on the album. It's uh, offensive. I I think that um I think that in many ways, the ultimate irony would be if they redid the drums and they just mixed it completely differently and they put out the same album, probably the best album. But nobody's ever listened to it because you can't get you actually physically can't get past the abrasiveness of that of that of that drum sound. Yeah. 
What band were we talking about? Again? <laughs> <laughs> going going back to Flotsam and Jetsam, uh, the 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 songwriting credits. You know, I may, I had mentioned Jason Newstead. It turns out that basically the entire band had 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 a hand in the writing of this album. He wrote all the lyrics, which I thought were. Were, were interesting. Um, but you got Eric Knutson on lead vocals, uh, Edward Carlson on, on guitars along with Michael Gilbert and Kelly David Smith on backing vocals. Um, just a, a very, very solid lineup. And unfortunately, for one reason or another, uh, this is a band that just does not really get talked about in the same way as a number of other thrash bands from the same era. And, and, and like I said, Eric Knutson, still in the band. Michael Gilbert still in the band. So the, 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 the fact is you got your same vocalist and the same guitar, like lead guitarist for, for again, for almost 40 years. The rest of the band has had some different incarnations over time, but I feel like these guys were not even like, these guys were not the A level of thrash when you compare them to their counterparts in 1986, right? Slayer was taking off. Anthrax was on top of the world, despite your piss poor rating of of, of uh, among the living, and then obviously Metallica and Megadeth would soar to to heights, you know, incredible heights as well. And then Flotsam just kind of never—I don't want to say they never got out of the starting gate, but even when you compare them to bands like Testament and Exodus, I don't think they've ever drawn as well as those bands either, who kind of hit it big with certain albums in the '80s and early '90s. It's it's a fascinating story. Yeah, I mean, there's only, I guess, so much room for that, you know, genre. But, you know, to be fair, um, you know, Loudwire did a a top 10 list of the best thrash albums that were not released by Megadeth, Metallica, Anthrax, or Slayer. And this album was actually ranked number six. So uh, they're, I guess they're, you know, once you get away from that crowded upper echelon and you start digging into a little bit more of what else is out there, which uh, is clearly what we've been doing lately with Hellstar last week and Flotsam this week. There's a lot of uh, like other good stuff out there, and and uh, it's it, it is interesting though. I mean, I've always like been aware of this band. Like, I feel like I've always heard of them. Like, they've always been around. I, it's just that uh, I never really listened to them until until just recently. But um, it, it's Unlike Hellstar, who I hadn't heard of really, um, this is a band I've just always been aware of. Like I, they've always just that name has always been in the the lexicon, I guess for 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 people that are, are metalheads. Um, but again, like it, it's interesting. We had, there was a, an interesting post on our Facebook Metal Exchanges group that um, someone had mentioned about the Hellstar episode, saying that like when you don't have that nostalgia for something, it's almost like you can't get over the hump of absolutely loving it. Like you can appreciate what it meant for the time and um, you, and you can really enjoy it, but like you, without that 20 or 30 years of it marinating in your, in your brain, um, it it doesn't get over that, like let that, that legend hump, so to speak. Um, which was also Pat's nickname, I believe, at one point. Um, but uh, and that's kind of how I feel about this kind of stuff, both Hellstar and Flatsman and Jetsam, like albums that I enjoyed quite a bit. But like at the same time, I wouldn't be able to give it like a nine just because 
I have absolutely no nostalgia for it. Um, so, you know, like I, I became a fan of metal, a, a solid 10 or 11 years after this album was released. So. Right. Right. And then didn't hear it for another 30 after that. So exactly, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that all being said, um, I think that's a very impressive accolade from, from Loudwire insofar as, you know, there's been a billion thrash albums that have come out over the decades and some of them are very, very good. And some of them maybe not, not quite as good, but to be in the top six or top 10 or what have you, it's a very impressive accolade. And I have to be honest with you, having listened to this album a bunch during the week, I can see why this was a really, really good album. And although obviously it lacks the nostalgia for us, I'll just kind of let the cat out of the bag. I really enjoyed this album. I mean, I really enjoyed this album. I, I, I might, I'm kind of picky with my thrash. I don't love every thrash band that I hear, and I certainly like some more than others. But I thought that this had two things going for it that other thrash bands kind of sometimes miss. Number one, I thought that there were a ton of melodies on this disc. I thought it was easily accessible because the melodies jumped out at you and it wasn't just thrashy for the sake of being thrashy and there are bands even today that are just it's just too much and they they they, what it lacks in melody it lacks an appeal for me the second thing is these guys are underappreciated for their kind of technical mastery because every one of these guys was kind of brilliant in their own way for their instrument that they played um especially especially Jason, who, by the way, I know obviously he would go on to be, you know bigger and better things, but at the same time, he never, and I mean never, showed his wares in that 15-year stretch in Metallica like he did on this album. They grabbed him because when it came to proficiency, he was great. And I don't know that the Metallica albums, even you can't hear him on Injustice for All, and the rest of the material after that was not as thrashy, not as... Um, intricate, so you didn't really uh, understand or appreciate how good of a bass player he was filling in for Cliff. But on this album, you can see how good he was, and and I, I can see why he was poached for the band. Um, I agree with you one hundred percent, and I was like impressed almost immediately. Um, like the album kicks off with like this I you know it reminded me a lot of an album that came out right around the same time the way that Walls of Jericho by Halloween starts where it's just kind of like here's a bunch of instruments <laughs> making a bunch of noise let's get let's get started and then there's like a really impressive bass riff that that starts right at the very beginning of the song and it's like he he stamps his uh he stamps his his uh style and and his chops like right from the get-go it's like oh there's a bass player here yeah and 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 i mean hammerhead is quite frankly one of their i think biggest songs off of the album and they they didn't really hold back right they they kind of went full throttle right from from the get-go here and the album opens with a six minute over six minute track. Um, it, it's funny. You, you mentioned walls of Jericho and I totally can understand why to me, I actually hear hit the lights by Metallica, which is ironic, obviously, but like that, the way that that album starts with just like this droning riff that just picks up steam. I loved it. I thought it was, uh, maybe even a nod to, you know, kill them all, which had come out just a few years prior, but the guitar work on this track just jumps out at you. In a way, it's a little bit different for me than the rest of the album because I thought this one had like a kind of a 
early new wave of British heavy metal feel to it. Almost like an Iron Maiden Killers or or something like that. Whereas the rest of the album, I thought was just more thrash in terms of like 80s thrash. I, I immediately said, this guy reminds me of like, the, the singer was reminded me of Diano on, on Killers, but just with better range and quite frankly, just a much better vocalist. Um, it, the track was almost a touch misleading because of that, because I think the rest of the album sounds different, but there's this rawness to it or something endearing about it that I just absolutely loved. And it feels shorter than the, the six minutes and 15 seconds that it actually runs. Yeah, oh, very well said. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, not my song of the week. This this was a really hard choice, actually, for me for a song of the week because I thought that all the songs were were really good and they all had their own kind of flavor to them in a lot of ways. I didn't find that this was a like you know sixty minutes of pretty much the same samey kind of music. I might have felt that way the first time. But then the more I listened to it, the more like I felt like there was a lot of layers and a lot of different things going on. It's a it's a lot deeper of an album than you would expect from a '80s thrash album, in my in my opinion. I but, I, um, I agree. I, I really like the um, the Iron Maiden Diano years uh, comparison. Um, I this is just a really energetic like. Just it's thrashy, but like you mentioned earlier, this band has melodies, and and like I always harp on about that, the, you know, our Anthrax discussion was that for me that was what the the big thing that was missing for me was was the melodies, and I loved that this band was not afraid to show that they had a little bit of a melodic side, um, and and like you said, same with the technical side too. It, it's a really great uh, mix of thrash, technical, and melodic metal all kind of rolled into one with a little bit of power metal and traditional heavy metal and a little new wave of british heavy metal well, like, too. A like, sprinkling. It, like it, it was it, it doesn't those other genres don't overpower you and, and and for me with the exception of this opening track it's really it's a thrash metal album but then they season it right they they put in a little mm-hmm. a little a little power metal salt a little melodic metal pepper and like a little paprika from the you know from the traditional heavy metal side and then it just kind of marinates together into this interesting thrash album and 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 like i said it hit the mark for me what did you think of the second track iron tears um this one starts off with these like primal screams which just kind of show off um in many ways uh nutson's vocals which are you know it's wild because he still he still goes wild i've seen them live and and he can still he can still hold his own for sure what do you think about this this second track uh yeah, I the vocals on this album are excellent. Um I really I really liked uh Eric Knutson's vocals. Um I wonder if there's any relation to uh former Columbus Blue Jacket Espen Knutson, but uh, you know, probably not. Um but anyway, um I I really like this song too. Um it, it's like it's like half, almost half the length of of the previous track. Um it's really just um get in, get out, thrashy, um fast like but uh, I like this one quite a bit too. Um, uh, what did you think uh, compared to Hammerhead? How did you feel about this one? Again, different. This is more traditional thrash. It's like thrashy, but it has this galloping feel to it throughout. It reminds me of Metallica's Motor Breath, which is this short, catchy, but certainly thrashy tune, which low-key, one of my favorite Metallica songs and what impressed me or what kind of attracted me to this was something that 
a lot of bands were doing at this time, or I guess maybe not doing, and that's why this why this was attractive. But there were these little guitar noodlings throughout. I wouldn't call them solos, but these little like noodlings throughout, which kind of I don't know helped drive the song forward while it had this gallop to it. I thought it was just a creative way to make this just a little bit different. It's a it's a tight little song, certainly more straightforward than Hammerhead, but I liked it a lot. And to your point, I had a I had a bit of a difficulty kind of coming up with a song of the week on this one. I had a couple in mind. This was not one of them, but I, I definitely I definitely enjoyed it. Um, and and it's interesting because you have some songs that are real kind of long epics, and then these other shorter tunes that are um, sprinkled throughout as well. One of which is Desecrator, which also comes in at under four minutes. It almost takes over seamlessly from the prior track, but it just comes in. It just builds up speed so fast. I loved, I loved the vocals on this one, and this is one of those songs that you just bang your head from the opening note. Um, it's heavy, but the chorus very, very catchy and melodic, and the guitar solos on this, like the bona fide guitar solos, really wild, kind of like off the rails wild, and I loved it. I just thought it hit the mood perfectly, and it was one of my song of the week candidates, probably my second or third favorite song on the album. Um. The, the... One of the things, and I don't know if I'm just becoming a little bit more open to this thrash style, but like I find myself, especially with this album, if I'm sitting at my desk, I'm bouncing my feet around like I'm playing a double bass drum. Like it just, it, it's the funniest thing because I don't have a lick of musical talent. But um, it, it's, I just found myself like really just getting like, like you said, like in kind of a, a headbangy sort of, you know, like I feel like this would be a blast live, like to see this kind of thing live. Like after a few drinks, just get onto the floor and just just headbang your ass off and just try to avoid getting steamrolled <laughs> by the inevitable, you know, uh, circle pit. But um, yeah, I, I I thought this was another uh, solid tune. Um, I think I liked Iron Tears a, a, a shade better than this one, but this was a. Uh, Another good one. Um, there's definitely a vibe, like definitely a vibe of that that mid '80s, you know, U.S. thrash metal kind of scene that that I think shines through on some of these um more thrashy, less melodic type songs like this one. But um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said about this one. This is another another solid tune. I think the ultimate compliment you can give is just what you said, right? Like wanting to or even doing a fake double bass drum at your desk while you're listening to it. To me, I feel like that's the the energy that they're going for. So if that was your uh, takeaway from a lot of this, I think that is a huge compliment and maybe the biggest that you can give. What was It's also less destructive than picking up a pair of sticks and beating the shit out of your keyboard and mouse and making your day's work in, in, in impossible to do. So. Live on Patreon, Chris destroys his office. Um, what's, what, what's interesting <laughs> to me is that the, the next track comes in at not only just over two minutes, but it's called Fade to Black, which if anybody <laughs> knows, uh, you know, there, there was a very famous song that came out, uh, you know, a year or two prior to this on Ride the Lightning. Um, Who was that, Kenny G? Yes, yes, oh. it was the famous Kenny G track. Um, this was I, just an interesting song title, in my opinion. Um, a slower tune with these, again, like wild screams on top. 
it reminded me of a band that we've never talked about on the podcast, but a band called Riot, who played Prog Power last year and has been around for decades. But it, I had this, if you're familiar with um, with Riot's discography, it reminded me of Swords and Tequila, the song, just for some reason on this. It was, the drumming is great. The dueling guitar solos is great. Uh, the only miss for me here was that I don't love the backing vocals, um, but otherwise a solid tune, I think. Well, uh, I believe that the band's pronounced Riot. Uh, shout out to Knox. <laughs> he, knows, he knows what I'm talking about. Um, the the first, like, the way this song kicks off, um, it sounds like like a radio song. Like, it sounds like almost a classic rock kind of yep. tune. Like, it's a, it's a pretty, like, understated guitar opening. And then it just, like, it like picks up in the middle and it just starts to go ape shit. Uh, it's like it's all in two this minutes. Is the kind of, yeah, this is the kind of song that like if somebody was just not familiar with thrash and you kind of wanted to give them a, like a little taste of what it is. This is something it doesn't overstay its welcome. Clearly, at two minutes and five seconds, um, this is like it's kind of like all all the things that make thrash metal fun all kind of rolled into a really tight package. This is something I would probably just say, hey, give this song a listen. It'll only take two minutes out of your day. And if you don't like it, well, you know, I just saved you, you know, a, another 58 minutes. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And and I, I think there's something to be said for albums around this time where they were not hitting you with 70 minutes worth of music. Now, obviously, I think if you buy an album, you want to get your money's worth. So I appreciate that. But there's something to be said for these 42-minute albums or 45-minute albums on the long side. Um, I, I don't know. Like, there's something to be said for me for just like you get in, you get out, you enjoy it, and then you move on to the next thing. It doesn't have to be long just for the sake of being long. Um, well, this but this, this album is almost an hour. Yeah, it is. I'm just saying, like, you're absolutely right. But I'm just saying, there's something to be said for those 42 to 45-minute oh, yeah, albums yeah. Um, that you know, which were the common, you know, commonplace at this time. I mean, there's only ten songs on this album, but a few of them are, are long. pretty long. Yeah, and the, the the first of which is "Doomsday for the Deceiver." I mean, this track is well over nine minutes, the title track, and it's the first of two big epic songs back to back. It's called it's the the close of side A and the start of side B back to back. This is a very meaty song. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I I really like these next two songs, um, which is kind of surprising because I'm like, you know, I feel like Metallica started to do it with Saint Anger. Speaking of which, where they started to make longer thrash songs, and it's interesting because I don't think Metallica did a very good job at it. I felt like they, like, I'll take the song Saint Anger as an example. It's it's like this eight or nine minute song, but it's like the same three minute song that just loops twice, two more times. Unlike Whereas say Master this... of Puppets or One, they did do a good job with certain tracks. To be fair, right? But to your point, as time would go on, they would continue to make longer songs. Quite frankly, they would do yeah. even more. And, I, and I'm speak and I'm speaking solely to the Saint Anger time sure, because sure. I just felt like that that album had a lot of songs like that that were long for the sake of being long. You know, another band that I feel like was guilty of this was Dragon Force. Not so much on their first album, Valley of the Damned, which we've discussed, but I think on like Sonic Firestorm and maybe a couple albums after that, it was like 
what why are there eight or nine minute songs of like the speed speedy power metal it's like it, it doesn't need to be this long these songs though have like parts to them where it actually feels like it's building to something and it's not just a nine eight or eight or nine minute repeat of the same two or three minutes and and that's what i i think really um made these two songs enjoyable um the beginning of doomsday for the deceiver has this uh you'll probably know the song better than me but it, it has a very 80s metallica vibe it reminds me um, of fade to black ironically enough yes, which which is yeah, which is ironic it. because they just named the song fade to black two minutes before this so right. really ironic but yeah i i heard the yes. exact same thing with that like slow acoustic guitar intro um really cool. yeah so it's like a it's like a two minute kind of vi- that vibe and then and then it picks up everybody else starts to kick in and it it's a more of a mid-paced song compared to most of pretty much all of what we've heard up to this point. Um, and it works. It works really well, I feel like. Um, it's, uh, you know, I'm finding a hard time trying to figure out what to compare it to. I'll leave that job up to you. But um, it, it just, it has like this two-minute, like, fade to black-esque intro, a really solid, just, mid-tempo middle portion and then it kind of goes towards the end where you're seeing that technical side of things with the technical guitar work and um this this song is is just has a lot going on and it it's never boring and i was really impressed when i looked at this i was like oh god a nine minute thrash (laughs) song what the hell is this gonna be and it and it ended up being really good uh what did what did you think of this i loved it i tim i'll be honest with you it's my song of the week Um, I've got a lot of thoughts. Let's give it a listen. Uh, When we get back, I'll I'll tell you why I selected it. So um, here's Doomsday for the Deceiver. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. So the reason I chose this album is for a couple, this, this is my track of the week is for a few reasons. I love the intro, even though I think it was a nod to fade to black, fade to black. But by the three minute mark, this song just takes off like a rocket ship. And I actually think the way they composed it reminded me a lot of Anthrax, which I'm shocked that you liked the song because that's what I hear. I hear, I hear Anthrax. I hear Joey Belladonna's vocals and then I hear some of these ridiculous high notes and I'm just like, damn, how is he singing like this? You know, I mean, it's just, it was really impressive, but I love the diversity here. I love the melodies. And in many ways, it was just like a proggy thrash song. And I'm like, 
check, like just checking all the boxes for me, right? Um, and then towards the end, I think it has a ride the lightning, the song vibe to it. It was, it just hit, it hit all the chords for me. And, and I gotta be honest, I think I liked it more than Metal Shock, which is like the next epic tune, although certainly good in its own right. But this, this, I, I preferred the, I preferred Doomsday to, to Metal Shock. Um, what was interesting though is all of a sudden, out of nowhere, keyboards make an appearance, which is like, wow, I was certainly not expecting that. And this one, much like one of the tracks we spoke about last week on the Hellstar album, this has almost like a horror feel to it. And and I think I don't know if that was on on purpose or what, but like even the name Metal Shock, it has like this uh, dark horror element to it. But more than anything, what what impressed me is I thought for a second I was listening to old Sabotage like the way this song starts. And I was like really curious as to where it was going to go. And and naturally it goes like full on thrash assault in the kind of Exodus Testament vein um, with an underrated bass solo. I mean, my God, the the bass solo on the song is great. Um, This, this is to me one of the first tracks where Jason Newstead just completely shined uh, and, 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 I do enjoy how it kind of slows down a little bit towards the middle and then picks up, you know, picks up. And there are parts during the instrumental section where I actually had a bit of a holy diver feel, even though it's a thrash song. A lot going on here. An interesting track. I wonder when you compare the two epics back to back, which did you prefer? Uh, well, first of all, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say something that might be potentially upsetting, but um, all sabotage is old sabotage at this point <laughs> when a when a band hasn't released an album in 22 years duly noted duly noted it's all old. i can't uh, argue with but, that but um no you know i'm glad you asked me that question because it's perfect because this is my song of the week um i as i think doomsday for the deceiver was arguably my second favorite song so i'm right there with you but this song was just a hair better for me um I love the creepy horror-esque intro like you mentioned. It does kind of have like a, a kind of sabotage kind of vibe. They did add a kind of piano like overlay, so to speak. Um, and then the high-pitched vocals, you just get that scream and the song starts and you're thinking to yourself, all right, we're going to have another one of these you know, mid-tempo songs like the previous track. Uh, doomsday for the deceiver but wait no <laughs> all of a sudden it's like snap your finger and then it's like all right now we're th- you know thrashing all the way um <laughs> it just it just picks up and it, it's just this really um this like roller coaster like it gets fast it slows down like it, it it's uh it really had like so many elements of the the style that i enjoy and I just found myself really uh, gravitating towards this song whenever it would come on. And I just think it's hilarious that um, on a thrash album from 1986, we've chosen the two, by far the two longest songs on the album uh, that in a way are kind of progressive just in the fact that there's different parts to it. And it's not like I mentioned before, like one you know, one long song of just the same thing repeating. It, it's it's actually both songs are very, um, very or, like a unique and original from start to finish. But um, yeah, this one for me just uh, really stood out. So uh, 
let's uh, let's give it a listen, and uh, and we'll we'll uh, carry on. As we come back and and give these tracks a listen, um, you know, between the two of us, I think this is kind of ironic. Between the two of us on this almost forty year old thrash album, we picked two songs that come in at over seventeen minutes combined. So if you decide you want to listen to our songs of the week, and we recommend that you do, we post them on all our social media. Um, you're basically listening to almost half the album. So that's I, I found that to be very fascinating. But a really interesting choice, especially coming from someone that is not a self-proclaimed thrash fan like yourself. Uh, very, very interesting. The album itself finishes off. In, 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 the last four songs are kind of fascinating all in their in their own right. The next track, She Took an Axe, the seventh track, is kind of one of the more simple, almost clean tracks, I would call it. It's It's... I thought the drums were fantastic. I thought the bass lines uh, were great and they worked very, very well together. Of all the tracks on the album, I think this one grew on me the most. I didn't care for it so much after the first listen, but by the end, um, cheesy lyrics aside, this one really kind of grew on me a lot. And, and I thought that there were these interesting use of like these little sweeping guitar solos throughout. This is now a second time that they've kind of done this, um, but a cool little track, I have to say. You know, it made me think that maybe we need to do a Lizzie Borden ep- uh, episode. One of these, one of these. Weeks. I was thinking uh, about that too, and this made me think of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I gotta say, you know, we talk a lot about um, song orders uh, on albums and stuff, and I think that for what this album is, I thought they did a really good job of like having some really high energy songs to start having these two really epic um, songs that have like a lot of different, like, uh, you know, a lot of different parts and slower parts here and there, and then finishing off with, a, with another like energetic bunch of songs. I think it really fits because it's kind of like, you know, you, uh, you start, you just start off energetic. You kind of uh, get a little bit proggy in the middle, a little bit more, you know, chilled out as far as a thrash metal could go right. and then and then and then with this song it starts to it kicks back into these um you know a, a bit slower or a bit not slower a bit uh shorter tunes um and and i think that this is it's kind of almost like it's going back to where the album started right um, right with, you know and i and i so i think that's really good i don't think i would um i don't think i would change anything 
about the order. Like, if this was not a thrash metal album, I would say, like, oh, it's weird that they put the two epic songs right next to each other in the middle. Because, like, on a power metal album or a prog metal album, I don't know that that would have made a lot of sense. But a thrash metal album actually works really well. Um, so, I, 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 on a macro level, I really liked how the, the album was... Um, just how it was set up that way. Um, but yeah, this was a, a good tune. Um, I think I liked the first four tracks better than the last four tracks okay. personally. Um, but this is, I still think this is a really solid uh, collection of songs at the, at the end here. I um, tend to agree with you um, with one rather large exception, but we'll get there. Um, I will say it was not the next track. UL. SW, which stands for, and I'm not making this up if you've never heard of it, but Ugly, Lying, Stinking Wench. Maybe the best title of any song we've covered in the last 150 episodes. Maybe. I, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? Um, I, I've got some, but I, I want to hear you, your first. What, what do you think of... Uh, it made Chris Jericho making fun of Stephanie McMahon when he would call her a... Uh, uh, disgusting brutal uh stinking bottom feeding trash bag hoe i would um, not be, uh, hear me out for a second we having having you know we we've met chris jericho we know that he loved you know power metal from from europe in the 90s and stuff oh, he like that definitely he, he probably definitely was a fan of flats that's do you think he got that promo from this song i would not be so i would not be completely surprised if this was an inspiration for that i'm not kidding you uh, we might not we might need to hit him up on twitter and ask and find I out i think that might be right um what are your thoughts on ulsw the song uh not the promo <laughs> uh you know another solid tune um I, I i think it's right on par with the previous tune she took an axe um again like i i thought that like um i thought that like hammerhead and iron tears and desecrator felt like they had more of a um identity amongst themselves whereas i feel like these last two tracks kind of feel interchangeable um just my two cents on it. Um, enjoyable, um, speedy, thrashy, um, but um, I, I didn't I didn't like it as much as uh, some of those earlier tunes. I'll, I'll just say I had in my notes that something about this song was a bit of a miss for me. Uh, I, I had said that it was like listenable, but that it was well placed, kind of at the back of side B. And then I listened to it one more time yesterday, and I said to myself, well, the vocals are good, and, and, and I do enjoy the guitar solos, and like there was some awesome drum fills on here. And then by the end, I'm like, you know what? I kind of like this song. So I, I did a bit of a 180 on this. Um, at first, it was probably my least favorite song on the album. Now I, I like it more than I did for sure. Not my favorite, but I, I, I've come to respect it. I'm like, if I like all these parts... I guess when you put them together, you have a pretty good song because I liked everything about it. It's just for something, I guess it missed the first couple of times. Um, and then we get to another kind of dark track, Der Fuhrer, um, which is like, it's kind of like this dark melodic extended guitar solo in many ways, um, at least to start. The, you know, I, I mentioned earlier how I heard Motor Breath, the song on this album. This is kind of like Motor Breath on steroids. 
again, I don't love the liberal use of the backing vocals here, but at the same time, I feel like it's one of the songs I would want to see live the most because if they, if they were really tight and could play a song like their Fuhrer live, um, I think it would be really interesting. And to be honest with you, I think they could have ended the album with it and you would have said very good album, uh, but they didn't. And, and I'll, we'll get to Flotzilla in a little bit, but what did you think of the Fuhrer? Uh, this was probably my favorite of these last three. Um, I'm not going to count Flotzilla because it, uh, Flotzilla is a, an instrumental tune. So uh, these last three tracks, um, this was my favorite of the three and um, it should be dark. It's a song about Hitler, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh uh, it, it should be noted that it's not a like tribute. celebration yes, yeah. of, or a tribute to Hitler, which, uh, you know, might have disqualified the album as even being discussed on this podcast, if that were the case. Mm. Uh, but um, was was actually more of, of just describing him as evil and, and demon-like. But um, interestingly, um, Flotzilla is not on the vinyl uh, LP. Wouldn't so fit. it's... It's possible that um, a lot of people, when they heard this album, this was the the last song that they heard. Um, yeah. and, and I would agree. I would tend to agree with you that this um, could have been and was the last song on some of these uh, albums. But there's something about Flotzilla being the last song that just works for me because it's like this long ass thrash outro. That like I don't feel like I mean you'd know you'd know this better than me, but I don't feel like this is something thrash metal bands typically do to end their albums with this six minute like and it's and it's like just full of energy. It's everything that makes thrash metal enjoyable. Um, well, it's interesting. So uh, I, I think yeah, I don't know if I'm I'm am cutting the line here. If you were done talking about the previous track, but um, I kind of like this as the as a way to kind of. And, and things. So it's interesting. Uh, no, I, I, I have a, more to say about Flotzilla, to be honest with you. It reminds me of the way that Ride the Lightning ends with the Call of Cthulhu, which is like this nine, almost nine-minute instrumental track. But at the same time, Flotzilla is a true thrash song, whereas the Call of Cthulhu is kind of like this, I don't know, proggy, I don't know how you describe it, but it's not really a thrash song in 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 the sense that you you would normally think this shouldn't work they shouldn't be ending an album in my opinion with a six minute jam session where every instrument has a chance to show off um it's heavy it's fast it's kind of march like in spots a very unique way to end the album And, and to be honest with you the last two and a half minutes especially it reminds me of some video game soundtrack, and I can't put my finger on it. But there's a Nintendo game there that actually, I think, adopts this I, same music. I think it's Contra. Maybe that's what it is. But it reminds me exactly of that. Um, and, and now i got to go listen to the Contra soundtrack because I just can't stop hearing it every time I listen to this song. In, in a way, it was almost my song of the week. I love this track, and I thought it was a really novel way to end the album. But I did think that the vocals deserve to be heard by everyone and that's why I didn't choose it. Uh, yeah, right. Really well put. Um, I feel like towards the end of the song, there's kind of like the, the guitar, um, the guitars almost have kind of like an iron maiden kind of, uh, flavor Mm. to them. Um, 
this is really cool. Like, you know, it didn't overstay its welcome, which is surprising for a six minute instrumental thrash song. At the it, end of the album, no less. Cool dude. Yeah. Um, Sorry, that? I, I was going to say, no, a six minute instrumental at the end of the album, after you've listened to 50 minutes worth of music, it's, it's fascinating yeah. to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't feeling like I was antsy for the album to end at this point. I mean, it, it, I thought it was interesting. I, I'd like, I'd, I'd be curious to know um, if really it was just a matter of it didn't fit on a record, and that was the only reason that it. Because you see a lot of this in the '80s, where um, when CDs were first starting to become a thing, you'd find. Uh, I think of. Um, Manowar's uh, Kings of Metal album is an example of that where um, uh, Pleasure Slave was a track that was not on the original vinyl or Gutter Ballet by Sabotage where Thorazine Shuffle was another track that was um, like, I don't know if it was on the cassette, but it was definitely on the CD and not on the vinyl just because they had more space and they were able to throw an extra track on there. So I'm wondering if that's really all it it was um, because... Bands, I think, were hesitant. Now, nobody gives a shit. But back then, bands were hesitant to um, release a double LP. You know, like, it was typically saved for live albums, um, you know, or Bruce Springsteen's The River. But, uh, you know, other than that, it it wasn't super common. So I think, especially if you're really talking about, like, there's one song that needs to be cut off... um, uh, clearly they went with the one song that doesn't have any vocals on it, but it, it's a, I always find that kind of interesting as a, it, this, this uh, sign of, of changing medium in the eighties where CDs were starting to become a thing, but, uh, and cassettes were, were, were pretty, pretty standard at this point, but um, CDs are also super expensive at this point. So like, I think that, you know, if there even was a CD release of this in 19, 19- 86 like very few people probably bought it right away um and but yeah it's it's, uh, it's interesting a couple of more notes and then I'll, I'll ask you for your score number one i think I, we were smart we did listen to the remastered version of this album I, I think that if you go back and you listen to the original pressing it's a little rough it's a little raw and it's a little 1986 so uh with without a huge budget behind it so the remaster they did an excellent job on that and I will say this, I, I've had the pleasure of seeing them live. I saw them on 70,000 Tons of Metal back in 2020. Um, they played a couple of songs off this album. They actually played Hammerhead and Desecrator when I saw them. Uh, very, very good. I didn't know what it was at the time. I just, you know, I just took it as part of their set. And they have such a massive discography that I wouldn't have known everything anyway. But I thought they put on a very good live show. And the word I always use to describe them is like professional band. Like, this is a band that is very tight live, despite the complexity to some of this to, to some of this music. So, really cool. I urge everyone to go see them live if they come around. They do tour the U.S. on a semi regular basis. Uh, but, but all that being said, we've gone nearly an hour. I'd love to know your thoughts on terms of score of one to ten. What are you rating this album? And I have to think it's higher than you probably would have guessed going into the week. You're right on. Uh, I um. I, I'm going to give it a 7.5. I, I gave uh, Hellstar's Nostaratu album a 7 last week, and I feel like this, for me, was a a shade better. Uh, or a shade... I enjoyed it a shade better. Um, 
I don't know if I could uh, put it into eloquent words as to why uh, it, it just worked. I think those two middle tracks, though, really kind of pushed it over over the that hump for me. Um, and again, like you know, we always go back to the the Anthrax discussion, but when the melodies are good and like that's kind of that really pushes me into more of an enjoyment when it comes to to thrash metal and and this this was surprising and i guess the the only reason i say that is because like i really didn't have any expectations because i didn't know the band at all or at least very well at all especially their older stuff um and honestly like because of the nostalgia factor i'm always a little bit uh wary of if the you know the requests you know charles listened to this album probably when it first came out or or shortly thereafter and so there's definitely a a nostalgia for him and so i you know sometimes i get worried that people's nostalgia is overtaking the actual like quality hey i'm guilty of that we and and then i listen to it and i don't like it and then i feel bad (laughs) but that wasn't the case here but and also we do try to keep it honest but you know we i think we often look through rose-colored glasses at certain albums that you know were part of our nostalgia um that being said for me this was an 8.25 which is like a really really high score for an album that like i didn't grow up on and probably one of the higher scores that i've given for an album that i've never heard going into the week I really, really enjoyed it. I don't think it was perfect. I'm not going to put it up there with Rust in Peace, which to me is still probably the high watermark for a thrash album. Um, but it is a very, very enjoyable listen. And I'm going to go back and listen to some of the other material that they've done early on in their career. Although I think that the the presence of Jason Newstead and, and his technical proficiency in many ways gave this a, a leg up on, on, on some other material that might be in the catalog. I'm just assuming there, but very, very good listen. Um, and I've got a, a an album for next week that I want to talk about briefly before I, you know, before we, before we go, but a couple of tours that I'd be remiss not to mention. Um, the first, uh, we know that Vola is coming to Prague power, but they're doing a U.S. tour in and around that show They're They're doing a U.S. tour starting in Florida on Wednesday, the 6th of September, they're going to be here for about three weeks, ending the tour in Austin, Texas. I got to be honest with you, dude. We have to do an Vola episode between now and Prog Power because um, I am so looking forward to seeing them. And I'm really curious to see if I can get you into them prior to that festival. In other words, will you be joining me for that show? Yeah, that's uh, – we talk about this every year of uh, you know what I what I feel like I need to – bone up on so to speak and and we've done episodes for that very sure. goal sure and it worked for it worked for pain of salvation's perfect element album um and uh you know i felt like i was um not super familiar with the you know raps uh luca trilli's ra- or trilli leone uh, you know there, how many raps <laughs> um so I felt I chose that album, which they ended up not playing any songs <laughs> from anyway, which is kind of ironic. Um, but yeah, I I suspect there will be a uh, a Vola episode uh, later later on in the year before Prog Power because um, that's just a band I haven't really listened to. It's not that I don't like them; it's just that I don't know them. So um, and being that they're 
build pretty high. And I know people that, and people that I greatly respect yourself included who are huge fans. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to definitely give it a listen, but I also think there's going to be some other bands that are playing at Prague power this year that we'll be doing episodes about during the summertime as we've done in the past. I, I agree with that. A- another band that I think you are very familiar with who's doing a U.S. and, and North American tour is is Beast in Black. They just announced um, their tour basically after Prague Power. Uh, they'll be playing in Atlanta, leaving the next day for Richmond, Virginia on September the 8th, uh, hitting many major markets all the way through um, October 15th where they end their tour in Florida. Good for them. They are slowly gaining a lot of steam um, and I'm happy for them. They deserve it. I just am so excited to see them live. And ironically, those are two bands we'll be seeing back to back um, the Thursday of Prague Power. So I thought that was interesting. And lastly, um, I don't know, another band that I guess has announced their US tour and that's Camelot doing a run of shows in August um, and November of, of this year, starting in Silver Springs, Maryland on August 17th stopping in Atlanta and then ultimately uh, ending the tour in Orlando, Florida on September the 9th. You know, th- this is a band that is uh, a professional touring band at this point. They they seem to be doing regular tours, but the new album has reinvigorated me when it comes to going to see them live. I, I'm not saying I would have skipped the set. I wouldn't have, but I don't know that I would have necessarily been looking forward to it, but now I'm actually... I'm going to enjoy it because I, I think the new album is very solid. Uh, right there with you. Um, I also wanted to mention too, I mean, it seems like a lot of bands are, are uh, kind of using Prague Power as a launch point for their U.S. tours. But um, I believe Cynic just announced that they're going to be doing a tour. I don't know if it's based around Prague Power, but they'll be playing on day one. Uh, Windrose is going to be joining Rhapsody of Fire on their North American tour. Uh, so it sounds like um, a lot of bands that are going to be here for Prague Power have decided to stick around in the U.S. and uh, do some uh, do some additional uh, shows. So um, which, is, which is great. I mean, if you're going to yeah. come, you may as well make it worth your while. So yeah. more power to them. And, and also, what you know, one other Prague Power uh, related thing I'll mention is uh, the Cryptex, who is. Um, opening on Friday night of Prague power this year, they just announced that they all have a new album coming out in late September. So I'm wondering if they'll play any of that new material at Prague power. That's another band that um, I definitely need to dig into because I just, I feel like I'm going to really end up liking them. Um, so I heard that we're going to play another considerable music from that album at the festival kind of like a world premiere type of thing. So the, not only will the album be avest, uh, available at Prague Power, but they will be playing some music off of it during their set. So that should be that should be interesting to say the least. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, the more and more I look at this Prague Power lineup, it, it's, it's really shaping up to be really enjoyable. Uh, and, and then there's like bands that I just forget are playing, like, like Mirath. <laughs> or visions of atlantis and unleash the archers i'm just like holy crap like damn and then like you you know you had mentioned green carnation recently i forgot about them um there's just a lot of good stuff here I, i'm 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 pumped uh and uh yeah uh, there's there's some uh some good stuff um lots to look forward to and like like i said uh, we'll be 
we'll be discussing quite a few of these bands um, as we get closer to Prague Power. I think I was a little bit um, down on the festival when the Power Quest thing happened, but now that I've kind of made my peace with that, um, I can, you know, get excited about everything else because there's plenty to be uh, excited about. Um, Before you get into what we're going to talk about next week, I'm kind of wedging this in here because it just came in, but I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to sign off without reading it. But uh, Charles kind of sent over a quick blurb about um, doomsday for the deceiver. So uh, I just going to give it a quick read Uh, released on July 4th, 1986 doomsday for the deceiver is hands down. One of the greatest debut metal releases of all time. British metal magazine Kerrang gave it a six K rating. This rating is higher than they normally give. Oh, maybe Dave Meltzer knew something about that. <laughs> uh, this album has thrash, power, and progressive metal all melted into one awesome listening experience. The death of Cl- Cliff Burton was a shocking blow. In my opinion, when Jason Newstead left Flotsam for Metallica, the band was never the same. His bass playing on Doomsday is brilliant. Flotsam has released a ton of great metal in their career. Their latest CD, Blood in the Water, is great. That being said, Doomsday stands alone as their apex release, Flotsam Till Death. Uh, so thank you, Charles, for the request and that little blurb. Uh, we well we enjoyed covering it and and look forward to uh, we you have a we have another album that you have requested that we'll get to at some point. But um, keep uh, keep the request coming. We appreciate it. And uh, yes, now please uh, regale me with what we will be listening to uh, next week. So we've done a couple of heavy eighties thrashy. Uh, you know, borderline power metal albums. I wanted to slow it down. And unfortunately, I think I'm going to, in retrospect, I think I may have slowed it down too much, but I want to talk about a band that we've never covered and a band that I've never really given time to, um, possibly because they just stopped recording albums uh, when they did for reasons I'm sure we'll get into. And possibly just because at the time that they were huge, I was listening to more power metal, which is like the antithesis of this particular band and the music they released. And and the album I want to talk about is October Rust. The band is Typo Negative. And the album came out in 1996. Um, it is, and when I say the antithesis of thrash, it is slow, gothic, doomy stuff that is just a really um, stark departure from a lot that we've listened to. So I would just ask you to go into it with an open mind um, because I think you're going to get the melodies. I just don't think it's going to be as fast as you're used to. And this is a meaty album. The album clocks in at about 72 minutes. But I think that the diversity here will be very, very interesting. This is widely regarded as, as their best album for most people. Obviously, reasonable minds can dif- differ. But uh, yeah, we're going to go back to 1996. We're going to talk about October Rust, and we'll do a deep dive into Typo Negative. This is great, because... Um another one of those bands that I just uh, never really knew, like, you know, always heard of them, never heard them, that kind of deal. And I, I remember uh, my my cousin was really getting into metal in the late, mid to late 90s, um, very briefly. And then he kind of swerved and became a massive hip hop fan. That's uh, a hell of a swerve. This, yeah, but he, he, he had this little brief, you know, uh, 
even before me, I think. And I remember him always speaking really highly of Typo Negative. And uh, he was actually the one who gave me my first Metallica albums. He gave me his copies of uh, Kill Em All and the Black Album after uh, he, he, you know, switched over to the dark side. So um, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to listening to this. This is really um, just something that I'm not really familiar with and uh i'm excited because i really have no idea what to expect i do only because i had the pleasure of seeing them live unexpectedly story for uh another podcast but um it's gonna be an interesting week i'll tell you that but uh thanks to everyone for joining us if you uh like what you heard give us a like and a follow we appreciate it consider joining the patreon send your requests in if you are on patreon and we'll catch you next week with some typo negative. Uh, Chris, my friend, this was fun. I look forward to doing it again. I will talk to you soon. Yep. And uh, just want to shout outs to uh, Nick and Amy, our latest uh, Patreon subscribers. Thank you for your support. Uh, we look forward to getting to your requests, which we have uh, put into the official spreadsheet. Um, so you're in. We'll get there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, thanks. Um, you know, it, it means a lot to us, uh, the support that we've been receiving. Uh, so we'll continue to try to give you uh, the the content we think you deserve. And, and like Justin said earlier, um, please send any suggestions or uh, if there's something that you think we could be doing better or more of or less of, <laughs> feel free to. Uh, Appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the week, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, buddy.